Hey there, and welcome to The Jeffrey Van Dyke Show, a podcast for paradigm changers. Each week, I speak with another influential leader who's changing the conversation for their audience, their industry, and this world. I am so glad you're here. Welcome to the show. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the show. This is Jeffrey Van Dyke. Today, we have with us Reverend James Trapp. Uh, He is a model for using your personal story to affect change in this world and to really help other people. Uh, From a young age, he's known a a lot of adversity. His mother left him and his family at a young age, uh, and he was the oldest of eight children. He went on to attend Princeton, eventually get his law degree, and he had a thriving law practice, a criminal defense practice in South Florida for a decade. Uh, things caught up with him though. His personal story caught up with him and he got hooked up with drugs and alcohol and lost everything. Uh, That put him on his spiritual path at the halfway house, which led him to uh, study and become a minister and eventually grow a thriving church in South Florida, uh, after which he became CEO of Unity Worldwide. Uh, He is now the senior pastor at a church in Sacramento, California. Here's what I love about James. He is really down to earth, and his advice is very, very practical. Uh, He just knows how to go, yep, here's what I'm focusing on, and here's how I see this. And I, I, I certainly hope as you are listening to him and as you're learning from someone who has led a huge movement in this world, Uh, that you can take some of his lessons into the work you do as well. So thank you for being here, and uh, let's welcome James. Okay, 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 my friends. Uh, We have with us, as I said, Reverend James Trapp. Uh, Reverend Trapp, thank you for being here. So glad to have you. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. It's, It's my honor. I'm glad to have an opportunity to share with you today. Awesome. One of the things that's interesting to me for this conversation is that you've had a rich journey into your life's work. Um, And your life's work, being a pastor, I know you've guided many, many, many people through their journey of answering their calling. And so I'm, 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 yeah. I'm particularly interested in this conversation from kind of both sides of, of that journey for you. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I look at in my work is how our core wounds are the training program for our life's purpose. Uh, that they send us on a particular yeah. path that at the time we can't see as purposeful at all. But in hindsight, we go, holy crap, I would yeah. have never ended up here without that. And you have a particular story around that. So I want to start there. Like, tell me about your childhood. How did, where were you raised? You know, how, how did life go for you as a kid? Where, mm-hmm. where, does, where does it start for you? Yeah, that's a a good question. As I look back on my life, uh, it has been an interesting journey. Uh, I was born in Long Island, New York, and uh, you know, I was a family of four brothers, three sisters. I was the oldest, so you know, it comes with certain psychological things when you're the oldest of uh, that many. Yeah. But I think my journey really began when I was fairly young, maybe about five or six years old. I didn't know at the time how much of an impact. Uh, a particular event would have had on my life, but my 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 mother disappeared from my life. Uh, like from your life, or from the whole family? A situation where, from the whole family, just disappeared. 
as far as I knew. Remember, I'm only about five or six years old. I came home one day and she was not there. She didn't come back the next day, the day after. And after a while, I came to the realization that she probably would never be coming back. Now, you can imagine that when you're very young and one of the most important figures in your life ups and disappears from your life. And from my perspective, I was abandoned. Yeah. I was left. Yeah. And that, of course, had a very profound impact on my psyche, on my psychological makeup, my way of viewing myself. And I believe from that moment on, I felt that there was something wrong with me. Something was missing in my life. And from that moment on, not consciously, I was seeking to try to fill a void within me because of that event. And I didn't really recognize that till many, many years later when I was engaged in you know therapy and things of that nature. So I sought to compensate for my lack of self-worth, really what it came down to, by achievement. How is it yep. that I can do well? And primarily I, I turned to academics. You know, I can that's something that I had some control over. So I did well through, you know, elementary school, high school. And I, my family, my father and my stepmother eventually moved to Florida uh, and I ended up in Miami and I ended up going to an inner city high school there. And despite that, I ended up going to an Ivy League school, you know, Princeton University, which is, you know, one would think that if you achieve that kind of success, that you would say, I have arrived. I'm a success. And of course, that didn't fulfill me. I mean, I went through the motions and, and did okay, you know, uh, attending to that university. And then I came out and I worked for a, uh, a newspaper, uh, pretty good job, but that didn't get fulfilled me. And when you're not fulfilled, you're always looking for something that'll give always. you that sense of satisfaction. And I look for it outside of me. And so when you don't really know what to do back in my day, if you didn't know what to do once you finished college, you went to law school. So I ended up going to law school. I came back to, to Miami. <laughs> and uh, I and this was during the time, I don't know uh, what your era is, but this is during the time of the cocaine cowboys in South Florida. And it was like, you know, it was uh, Miami Vice style living going oh, on. Oh, yeah. And so I represented, yeah. a, I did a lot of criminal defense work. And I represented a, a number of... Uh, how should I say, uh, unlicensed pharmacists, to say the least. <laughs> Nefarious you know, they, characters. They were, they were uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, and I, and I got a, you know, I made you know, a pretty good amount of money for a young kid. I was still in my, my, my late twenties, probably around that time. But despite what appeared to be success on the outside, uh, I still did not feel a sense of satisfaction. Because what follows any kind of sense of satisfaction outside of you eventually does not sustain itself. And I found myself into dissatisfaction. And I ended up turning to drugs and alcohol. And my life absolutely collapsed. Uh, it's like I jumped off of a cliff. And everything that I had achieved. What did that look like? What do you mean it collapsed? I, I lost my house. Uh, my relationship. Uh, friends would abandon me. 
because I was addicted. I was addicted to a very strong drug. I think they call that free base. They would probably call it uh, uh, something else. They they call it something of uh, crack cocaine. Mm -hmm. You know, era during the era. And so, despite all of that, you know, my life, you know, was in an absolute shambles. And this was really the beginning of my spiritual journey. But I first had to go to a, a drug rehabilitation center. And at the time, it was something called a place called Concept House. It was in a small, nondescript building in a part of town called Little Haiti, because it was, it was a, a, an area where a lot of people from Haiti had lived. And while I was there, I had a roommate. And one of the things they would allow us to do while we were in that uh, facility is go to a, a place, a spiritual center on Sundays. And it was called Unity. And uh, my roommate would go. <laughs> and it was voluntary. And he said, yeah, you should go. You know, it's really very, uh, you know, supportive of your, you know, of, of the journey that we're on. And I said, well, is that a church? And he said, kind of, sort of. I said, man, I don't do church because I did not relate to what I viewed church when I went to church when I was a kid. Uh, what you know, kind of church are you raised was, in? You know, well, I won't, I won't mostly, probably mostly Baptist churches, mm -hmm. but, you know, it depend upon where we lived. That's where my family would go. If I was, if it was a Nazarene church, I went to that church. If it was a Methodist church, I went to that church. Because remember, we had a lot of kids in the family, so I think they used to drop us off in order to uh, have some peace and quiet for a Get time. reprieve. They weren't particularly religious, as I recall, you know, at that time. But, you know, I would hear you know, a message, and, and I don't I don't try to put down all the message, but it didn't resonate with me. And uh, so I never really, you know, got into it. And once I went to finish high school, I never went inside uh, church again. And so he bugged me about going. And I said, well, if you don't bother me about this at all, I will go this one time just so you won't bother me about, you know, going to this place. And of course, I did go. And, you know, I sat in the back near the door just in case something was said I didn't like. And uh, I, would, I remember to this day that the uh, speaker, uh, Bill Cameron, uh, gave a talk. And it, it was as if that talk was specifically for me. It was so specifically for me that I thought they, someone had given him my personal file and he had used that as preparation for his talk. And although there was a bunch of other people there, it was really for me because I had a great deal of guilt about what I had done to my life, uh, the need to release that, the forgiveness. And he was talking about how you can begin again and, and so forth. And I was captivated and, and needless to say, uh, I went back on a regular basis and that became the beginning of my journey. Isn't that fascinating? Do you recall any taps on the shoulder before this to step into a spiritual path to do to 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 look at your wounds and 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 address those like were there taps on the shoulder before this you were like nope <laughs> keeping that door closed uh or was it like <laughs> no i don't even recall having that not not directly when it came to a religious or spiritual path you know i consider myself more of a, a spiritual person and not into any kind of dogmas. But one of the things that was always interesting, perhaps in the back of my mind, I had an interest in 
things that were beyond the normal secular way of seeing life. Because when I was in college, uh, they used to allow us to what they call audit a course, which right. means that you could take the course and take the exam. But if you didn't pass the exam, it wouldn't show up on your on your uh, on your transcript. So you could just take anything. And if you didn't like it, you could drop out or if you didn't do well, it wouldn't matter. So I used to take a few philosophy and religious spiritual uh, spiritual philosophy type courses there and i was always intrigued by that because i guess i had this interest in in in, in philosophy uh but i think it getting into you know getting my tapped into it uh into this work it really comes from my experience of trying to recognize my own self-worth my own value because uh what I've learned along the way is that uh, I did have a sense that I was not worthy. And it may have been part of that uh, incident I had with the uh, abandonment by my mother and maybe other things I'm not even consciously aware of. And as a result of, of, of kind of healing that, it allows me to have a lot of empathy for other people. Because one of the things I've discovered in this work over the years that there are a lot of people who on the outside are extremely successful, have everything that you can possibly imagine, but there's always something in there that says, you know, I'm not good enough. Yeah. And I recognize that. And that's a way that I can, you know, kind of relate to people when, you know, people do things that are bizarre. Uh, you never really know what, they may have gone through in their life or what's going on within them at all. So I, I find that what I seek to do and my personal mission is really hopefully inspire people and also leaders to live their best selves so that they can make a positive contribution, you know, to our world. So that's really what my gift is, you know, as a speaker and yeah. a motivator, hopefully to help people tap into something that will recognize that they have value. They don't have to be stuck in life. If they've fallen off, they can always begin again. You can begin anew. And that was probably one of the greatest lessons in my life because I was able to turn that around. And if somebody like me can do it, then anyone can do it. So uh, I you think know, my experiences. Is, I, I love that you share that because I, I, I have seen time and time again, that our stories are perfect, you know, that the life we've lived has such perfection and the stories are so necessary for our work. And for your work, you know, you have this story that says, well, heck, <laughs> if I can have redemption, if I can turn this around, like, it's available. It's free of charge. Here you go. It's available. Yeah. And I, I just love that, you know, uh, yeah. Brene Brown always says, uh, until you own your story, your story owns you. Uh, and I love your yeah. example yeah. of owning your story and using it purposefully and consciously. Um, so good. You know, I, I, I'm, I take a course and part of the byline of that course is uh, coming to the realization that nothing and no one is against you. We may think certain things that happen in our life are against us. But if we look behind them, there's actually some benefit there for us. Yeah. 
if we if we if we're willing to find it. What do you think helps people see that? I always believe that it starts with them being able to see it in someone else. I you know, I have this uh, belief that yeah, if you can see a quality in another person, that means that quality has to be within you as well. That possibility has to be within you as well. And I think it starts by that. I think, you know, they have to see a possibility. You know, oftentimes I, I in my life, if I see I want to learn something and I see someone else that's kind of like on my level, able to do it, then something is ignited within me to say, OK, well, maybe I can do the same thing. And I think that's why all of our stories are very important to share with other people. You know, even when I share my story, it helps ignite uh, a faith, a belief in others who have something similar that has gone on in their life. And if they see an example of a, a turnaround, see an example of how their life can be different, then I believe it inspires and sparks something within them that gives them that same kind of belief. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about stories. Stories are extremely powerful in helping ignite the realization of the truth that's within all in all of us. Yeah. If your old story was, you know, something's wrong with me, what would you say the story is that you live yeah. today? today. <laughs> well, the story is that we are perfect wherever we are on, on our journey in life. Whatever got us there was was supposed to happen, and it's perfect. And we are not in the sense that we have external perfection, but we are born inherently worthy. That's that's that would be the new story. We're inherently worthy, no matter what happens to us, whether we're up, whether we're down, whether we have setbacks. That inherent worthiness is always going to be there. It can never be squashed. And if we begin to start from that then we can begin to move in a positive direction. Uh, because I believe that if we see ourselves as worthy, then that begins to create the possibilities of newness in our life. Uh, because I don't believe you can ever go beyond our own self-evaluation, our own self-image, our own self-worth. And that's why I work a great deal on if you want to get somewhere, the first thing you have to do is recognize your inherent worthiness and that will be the foundation for you to get from where you are to where you aspire to be. Uh, yeah. Because I've seen people who uh, have done great, you know, you know, who have great talent, but they don't feel valued. They don't value <laughs> themselves. They don't see the worthiness in themselves. And, yeah. and so what will happen, either they won't get there or if they do get there, it'll collapse. Kind of like in my life. You know, I, I, I was had some modicum of skills and intelligence, but if you don't see yourself as worthy, it will not sustain itself and, and you could end up losing. So you're a foundation you builder. I would say yes. Well, you know, when people come to me, I mean, there's a lot of approaches that you take. I think you have to start out, you know, how you see yourself is, is, is I think, a foundational piece of it all. And then there's all kinds of tools that you may need to use to help you get there. You know, sometimes you need to forgive just yourself like me of, of, of the things I thought I did badly in my life or maybe what I've done towards someone else or where I messed up 
or opportunities I didn't take and we end up feeling bad about those things. I said, you know, you can let that go and start with a clean slate. And that clean slate is a foundation that says, hey, you're okay. You're all worthy and you can begin anew at any time, uh, no matter what stage of life you may be in or what conditions you may be facing. And so yeah. uh, it's getting a, that kind of mindset because, you know, one of the things that we often do is we use a lot of negative self-talk <laughs> about ourselves. Once we get into a spiral that there's something wrong with me, all we'll do is find stuff to reaffirm there's something wrong with us as opposed to saying, hey, there's something right with me and look for the things that affirm that and move in that direction. Uh, in how we talk to ourselves, what the thoughts that we have about ourselves, uh, about other people for that matter, makes a huge difference for us. Uh, I would even say that even when we're, I said never even think bad about another person because you know they get the carbon copy, we keep the original because we're keeping that energy within ourselves. So uh, a lot has to do with uh, that kind of mindset and how we can turn that around. I'm curious, um, you may or may not put yourself in this camp, but as I look at you and research you and everything you've done, I would put you in the high achiever camp. Um, and most of the people I work with are high achievers. Uh, you know, you talked about that drive to prove yourself and, when that's built on a wound, that's like, someday I'll prove that I'm not that thing that I say that I am. Uh, it goes and crumbles. I'm I'm curious, yeah. how has, how is your relationship to drive or achieving or doing changed as you've centered in your worthiness? Well, I think it has, for me, it has to be tied to a higher purpose. How can you redirect that drive for something that is beyond just, say, ego satisfaction or self-satisfaction? Are you contributing or moving towards something that's bigger than yourself? Uh, one of the reasons I, 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 I do the work is hopefully inspire people to be their best selves, unleash their best selves so that we can collectively start creating you know a world that works for all of us um, yeah because I think that's what you know what heaven on earth is among other things is that you know someone said and I like this phrase that we do better when we all do better if everyone right. does better you know it helps everybody and so uh the, the idea then that, you know, we are part of a of interrelated or interconnected world. And if we are making a positive contribution to any part of it, then we are also lifted up. And I think that's what, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King talked about, the interrelated na nature of reality. He said that um, I cannot be the who all that I can be unless you are all that you can be. And I you cannot be all that you can be unless I'm being all that I can be. And that is a connection that we all have. And so it's about making a contribution. So using the drive for something that maybe lasts beyond your own lifetime, uh, but is about a, a, a bigger purpose. 
And so if you can convert that to something well, positive, then it's useful. Let's talk a little bit about your career inside of Unity. And I want to I wanna see what transferable things you've learned for other change agents in the world. Um, you, you know, you went down the path in Unity. You ended up becoming a pastor of Unity on the Bay in 1994. Is that right? That's correct. Right. Yes. I, I, was, uh, I was a member of that community uh, from the mid-80s, late 80s, I think it was, for about before I left and go, went to ministerial school in the Unity Village. Okay. Um, now, here's the thing. I think I may have mentioned it. I had no desire to be a minister or a spiritual teacher at all. You know, when I did get kind of hooked on it, I said, well, this is good for me. It helped me turn my life around. I can get back into being what I need to be in the world. And I had one of those uh, mystical moments because I, the, 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 the leader at that time said later on, I didn't know this. He said, you know, I saw you in this position as a minister hmm. at some point, but I never mentioned it to you. I figured you'd have to come through it on your own. And during the time I was there, this vision came up. Oh, uh, you should be a minister. And I, and, and I resisted it. I resisted it every single day for over a year, it would come up in my mind and I would say, no, it come in my mind and say, no. And one day I said, oh, hell no, I'm never going to do anything <laughs> like this. But I was with a friend because uh, <laughs> I did, I said, no, I'm too cool for this. I could never see myself being a minister from, from what I had in my own mind. But I was with a friend and we went to, uh, I think they called something youth fair where they had like, uh, uh, different rides and roller coasters and we were chaperoning some kids and they were on the ride and I was just standing there kind of in a state of maybe surrender of just or vulnerability and something struck me in that moment I saw myself in that position and as, as becoming a minister and it seemed like an electrical current went through my whole body and in that moment I said yes I had no idea how I was going to do it, but things began to unfold almost perfectly. So, you know, after preparing, I ended up going to uh, Unity Village where they have the, the program. I was there for two years. It was one of the best two years of my life because uh, I had a chance to immerse myself in continuing my own personal growth and development, which is really a continuation of being in that drug rehab center, which I was there for six months. And all I did is work on me, become more aware of me. And I had never done that before in my life. I was always looking outside of me, trying to manipulate things to, to feel okay. And I realized after a while, oh, I had nothing to do with anything out there. Yeah. It had something to do within me. Yeah. So um, I love that you share that lightning bolt moment. Yeah. So anyway, I followed that that instinct uh, that, that and I almost got kicked in the keister really, so to speak in that direction. And I came back and uh, you know, the minister was there about to retire, stayed there for, he stayed there for another couple of years or more. And we had a really uh, wonderful community grow and develop. Um, and, you know, and I think one of the things that I, I most enjoy, what, what really kind of calls me about the work 
is when individuals maybe have their own light bulb moment. They may be, be stuck in life. They may figure out that there's no way forward, that you know my life is over. I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what my purpose is. And then they have this instinct, this instinct moment where they realize, hey, I don't have to continue this path. I can actually go a different direction. And we had all kinds of people there. Uh, you know, South Florida is a very diverse community, uh, and as in, in many ways, not only racially, ethnically, uh, but economically. So you may have someone who had lived on one of those islands in multi-million-dollar homes, coming out of, with sitting next to somebody who just came out of a you know a drug rehab center or a homeless shelter, but everybody is there seeking to find that inner truth that is within all of them. And that was one of the great experiences that I think I had just to have folks who were on that path, because I think we need more of that if we're going to bridge the polarizations and the divides that we see in our world today, that there's a commonality that we all can aspire to express. What have you learned about bridging that divide inside of the that work, and how do you see it translate to you know, the rest of our world right now? Well, I, I think one of the things that, you know, in helping creating this world, a society that works for everyone, we have to recognize at bottom, we're all the same. I mean, I mean, we have different experiences and different backgrounds, but the essence of who we are is identical. You know, we have different names. They call this divine nature that we have. And we are all interconnected on that soul level, that level that we cannot see and that we have more in common than we have differences. And so part of it is recognizing that first within ourselves and then recognizing that within other people. And then how is it that we can have, I would say, positive conversations that help us rise above what appear to be differences. And oftentimes if we have really what I call constructive or evolving conversations, you're not trying to convince somebody else that you're right and they're wrong. You're really listening to have an understanding. And then maybe the two people will come up with a new idea that they neither of them came up with before that will bridge that commonality. Uh, a lot has to, I think when people begin to know each other on, on a deeper level, the seeming differences disappear uh, because we don't see them as other. We don't see them as an opposition, uh, but we begin to see them as a fellow human being on the path. And uh, then we realize that the differences that we have are mostly made up and they probably don't matter. Uh, we just make them matter. So often we can't see another way forward. We have our myopic viewpoints and it's this or that, and it's maybe neither one is great, but there's something that happens or can happen in relationship where like, oh, there's another path that neither one of us saw before. And like, I think if there's anything we're called to do as change agents in the world is hopefully help illuminate another way right hey there's a there's a there's a path we we weren't looking yeah. at uh that maybe you didn't see 
that maybe none of us knew existed mm-hmm. until we came together. Um, I, I want to speak to something yeah. here, uh, uh, which is that you grew the congregation from 94 to 2005, from 125 people to about 1,300 people with revenues, with the support from, from your community, yes. uh, going from 200,000 in 94 to almost 1.9 million in 2005, uh, and then becoming CEO of Unity Worldwide. Um, I am curious, like you grew that congregation and then you went into Unity Worldwide to, to be the CEO there and, and, and shepherd the whole community forward. What have you learned about growing communities, especially spiritual communities, uh, that maybe is transferable outside of a church setting for any change agent, paradigm changer who is building community around their work? Yeah, that's uh, that's a very good question. There's several things that that I learned from from my experience, and you know, it's always a learning experience because you know. There's always obstacles that you run into that you have to be able to negotiate around or above. But the, I think one of the most important things is that you have to have a compelling vision that folks buy into, hmm. that benefits not only the collective community, but also benefits them individually. That's um, so key. Part of it was that I was, you know, when it, being at, yeah, I think I think that's I think the the vision is key. You know, you know it, it's it's not new to me, but you know as you know Stephen Covey always talked about in his book. You know, you begin with the end in mind. You have to have something that is that stirs the the soul, the stirs the the cells of your being that you want to be part of that will serve as an attractor for for others to to be part of. So. And, and also the ones who are involved have to bring a certain authenticity of who they are that aligns with that. Uh, there, there can't be an uh, incongruity between you know, what you're aspiring to be and how you're showing up. You got to be it even mm-hmm. before it, it shows up in the, in the material world. And I think part of, of, of my experience that I had in my life is that I brought that kind of authenticity. I believed in this stuff. Uh, and I sought to translate that into what the organization could be. So that was, was part of it. But the other part, as equally important, maybe even more important, that translates to any organization I've been a part of, you must have great people around you. And you must bring people around you that have skill sets that you do not have, that have passions in areas that you don't like, (laughs) that they are passionate about, that they are part of the solution. uh, And you don't come in like you know everything, but rather collectively, we know a lot. Individually, we probably don't. It is a ceiling that we can know. Uh, And... So I think if I were to say anything, you know, attracting great people that are in alignment with where you want to go, that complement each other so that the part, the whole is far powerful than individual parts adding up. Uh, And I had a great staff of people, a great staff of volunteers, 
great people who are in music and, you know, people who were great with numbers, you know, and, and it all came together to focus on the, the common goal. So I, I would say the quality of the people. I mean, I, I read something years ago. Well, not too many, far years ago. I think Apple, oh no, it was Google. They did a study and they were trying to find out why certain teams were better than others. What was the ideal team? What was the perfect team? Because they always outperformed other teams. And part of it is that they had a you know, diversity of opinions, but they also created an environment where everyone felt comfortable making their contribution. Nobody was shut out. And that was the kind of environment we sought to put together where everyone's voice had value because we all have something to contribute. And if we recognize that, uh, we realize that sometimes it's not the person who's the head of the organization that knows it. It may be someone who's at, you know, for lack of a better term, they're just kind of like you know, on, on the ground floor, but they're interacting with what the real world stuff is going on. And their information is probably more important than the person who's sitting up on the desk trying to figure out how to do it. So their voice yeah. is important. So to be able to get a variety of voices involved that uh, help move the organization forward, I think is a, is a valuable tool to have. I love I love, love, love that. And I'm just imagining for people who don't have a traditional organization, but maybe have an audience for their work, that there might still be a way to get a variety of voices into your community and into your work and contributing to uh, your understanding of what they need and how you can show up in support of them and what you can learn from them. Um, so good. So, okay. So yes. then you go into being CEO of Unity Worldwide. One of my big questions about this is, <laughs> yes. so I see life in kind of maybe three uh, phases, if you will. Phase one, you come in, you experience your wounding, you develop your personality. Phase two, you go trying to prove yourself to uh, fill that void. Phase three, and may, you know we could probably break these up into many more phases, but phase three you answer the call and lo and behold, all the skills you learn trying to push and prove yourself end up being needed in new ways you wouldn't have expected. So you were an attorney, right? You went to Princeton, you, you got a law degree, you practiced law. I'm curious how, how that showed up in you being a leader later in life in ways that maybe you would have never thought. <laughs> Well, there, there are certain skill sets that you're right. You know, I think nothing in life is wasted if you are on a path that's uh, yours to, to, to express. So I think everything I've accumulated in my, in my life, my personal experience was very important in order to have an understanding of people and you know, what they may be going through and, and, and have as minimal judgment. I don't think anyone's completely non-judgmental, but you know, you, you, you have a way of accepting people where they are because you have to accept yourself, you know, cause I went through a lot of stuff and I did a lot of crazy things that, you know, I'm not proud of as I look back over those experiences and I was able to move further. So I think those things help. And then, you know, 
you know, you know, working in a corporation, you know, right after I was in school, out, out of college, you know, just for a year and just observing, uh, you know, someone who has been like in the in in my area, which was advertising at the time I was working uh, as one of my jobs. And I used to observe one guy and he used to, you know, he used to we used to do retail advertising before all the Internet. And we go to different stores and get ads and things of that nature. And our, and, and for me, my, my schedule would be so chaotic. But then I watched one guy who seemed to have everything under control. And what I realized what he did, he would tell his folks or his clients, here are the days and the times that you can reach me at any time. Now, the other times I won't be available, but he organized his time in a way that he didn't have the chaos that some of the uh, the other individuals have. And I observed that and that was helpful. You know, it is something I just picked up on yeah. uh, and unconsciously. And I, I, I still try to use that. I'm not, I wasn't, I'm not as good as he was, but I, I'm better than I would have been if I didn't know about that. So I pick up that, you know, you pick up the skill as a speaker and a, and, a, and a critical thinker as a lawyer and, you know, the laws and everything. So if something legal came up, I was never intimidated by it. I could either figure it out or call somebody to, to, to figure it out. So, uh, you know, and, and just the ability to enroll or persuade people uh, in a uh, vision uh, is, is important. So like it all kind of comes together uh, yeah. in a way that I never would have imagined. Because like I said, if I had looked at a thousand professions or jobs, uh, being a minister would not have been a, even on the list. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I love you sharing that because some of the things we into like, oh, okay, law shows up in a church as well. Sure, that that's the obvious stuff. But the less obvious stuff like, oh, I had to be persuasive. I do enroll people into things as an attorney. And guess what? As a minister, right? Same thing. Uh, so I, I love that phrase, nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Um, what was your, what was like the driving force for you in, in growing uh, Unity on the Bay and, and on your work as CEO for Unity Worldwide? Like what was the what was the why behind it for you? What was the the driving vision, the driving force for you? What what do you feel like guided you the most? Well, you know, being uh, the senior minister of Unity of Bay and CEO of Unity World Ministry, they're really two distinct type of jobs. <laughs> but that, but going back to um, my work at Unity on the Bay, I I you know I just enjoyed. Number one, I really enjoyed it. So first of all, I I, I just loved what I was doing, uh, I would say that, you know, like more than any job I had, probably 90% of what I did, I enjoyed. There was always a 10% that I didn't like to do, but, you know, you had that comes along with the territory. The second thing that I think always drove me is that, and I think I mentioned this earlier, is that I love to see when someone has the light bulb go off in them so their life turns around. You know, if if I get it, because some folks would say they 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 were in a class, maybe not even my class, or they were uh, in a service, or you know they heard me say something, or they thought they heard me say something that I never said that made a difference in their life. 
or you see someone who's taking these principles and, and, and they've gone from zero to hero uh, in whatever area that they're doing, whatever they're doing in the world. That gave me juice, you know, that kept me going. Uh, and, and my goal then, as a Union Worldwide Ministry CEO then, you're dealing with the organizations, hopefully to create more of those or more effective organizations like that on a bigger scale. So it's much, it's, it's a different approach because uh, you don't have that personal one-on-one -on -one with, you know, a congregation every week. You know, you are, you know, it, it, you know, it's more corporate, I should say, I, you know, for lack of a reason. Use a spiritual perspective, but it's, it's, it's more of an organizational thing. So I had to, that's a whole different skill set that yeah. you have to bring. Yeah. That, I grew a lot from that experience. So it's all it's all about you know making a difference and transforming lives. Yeah, no, I I get it, I get it, and it's so clear to me that you see this light bulb moment, and you've seen it, and you've seen it, and you've seen it, and you've seen it, and, seen it, and that is front and center for you. Um, so like I I I I can get inside of that driving force for you, even if it's at a worldwide scale and you aren't directly touching it. Um. Uh. One of the things that uh, our mutual friend Legrand said is your credo, uh, which is we are not here to casually observe the unfolding of history. We're here to consciously participate in its revelation. Our world is remade, reformed, and transformed by the cutting edge ideas we are in conversation about on a daily basis. Uh, so I want to use this last little bit to talk about where we're at in our world right now and your perspective on that. Um, you know, as I look at it, uh, chaos theory says that stable systems don't change readily, but systems in chaos, right? They're much easier to, to push one way or another. They're much easier to change. So I look at our world right now and while on some substantial levels, I can't make sense of it. And another kind of in my bones way, I'm excited by it, <laughs> strangely, uh, that like, oh, there's so much potential here. There's stuff breaking apart and making room for the new. Like, how have you made sense over the last few years? And what's your perspective on where we're at? Oh, you bring up a really great uh, question uh, to, to consider, because I have been contemplating this I think as things at least apparently seem to be more chaotic uh, than normal. I don't know if they are because of the Internet. It's just amplified everything. But I've been thinking about this because I'm actually uh, running in my mind a book to write on that very topic. And there's a line in a, in a classic new uh, Unity text called Lessons in Truth. It was written in... Uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. And there's a chapter in there on what they call chemicalization. And it, basically the chemicalization says that whenever you move from one state to a different state or for, for a higher state or an evolved state, there's a time where everything gets chaotic. Uh, everything gets disrupted. Uh, old systems begin to break down so that something new can emerge. So like you were saying, I, what 
gives me hope. And the only way that I can look at this is that we are going through a chemicalization process. And I think anytime there is an, you know, some evolution, you know, there's this, 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 this sometimes appears to be violence, you know, not maybe real violence, but it may be a violent feeling. It is a chaotic feeling. Uh, there's, and, and that's just the way of nature. Uh, because usually growth involves some pain short term. You know, if, if you go to the gym after being there for a long time, you lift some weights, you know, if you feel some pain, that means it's working. You may not like it, but that's what you need to do to get to the next level of, you know, your physical fitness. Uh, and, and so I think we're moving to another level of spiritual fitness, psychological fitness, social fitness, and it's, it looks messy right now. And I think if we have enough people who are holding the high watch of what's possible, then it eventually will fall into place. The, the thing about it, I don't think it happens for human beings automatically. You know, uh, I think we have to contribute it through holding the high possibilities, through the language that we use, because our language, as you say, creates our world. And we need to be careful what we are speaking because we are creating it. Uh, and our actions that back up our words are helping create that. So we can co-create it, but uh, it doesn't happen on the, uh, the wheels of inevitability. Uh, we have to have enough conscious people who recognize the possibilities and to move in that direction and to you know, speak into those possibilities to act in that direction of those possibilities to bring it about to, to the midwife or usher in this new paradigm that I think is seeking to be a birth right now. So uh, that's the only way that I can remain when optimistic. You <laughs> are in your prayer time, when you're in quiet time, when you're in conversation with the divine, what messages you're getting right now uh, either about our world or about your next step or your participation in this unfolding. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm asking this of you exactly, but I, I'm, well, because I'm told to. So I'm <laughs> curious, I'm curious what you might say about that. Uh, well, you know, usually, you know, like I, I, sometimes I may bring an agenda to prayer. I may have a question I want answered or, you know, I just want to turn it over to the all knowing presence and then it may reveal itself. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But most of the time, I just kind of just want to be. Just, you know, you know I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fairly accomplished practitioner of a mindfulness meditation. And the whole idea is just to be fully present to what's going on. And then oftentimes, you know, some ideas will come to me uh, when I'm in that state, when I'm kind of reducing the, the, the chaos of my mind to get into pure being, so to speak. And I think for me as an individual, what comes up is that, James, you're still thinking too small. You know, you know and, and part of my thing that comes out, you know, every morning I'll write something down and say, what message do I want to, you know, carry with me today? Uh, and, and, and lately it's become, Spirit is saying, 
aim high, think big, act bold, and adapt. <laughs> as amen. Uh, amen. So I, I, I have, yeah, you know, so I have to keep watching my, and so one of the things that I, I realize that I, I have to be aware of is be conscious of what I'm thinking, be conscious of what I'm speaking, because it's a reflection of what my experiences will be. And oftentimes I find myself thinking, you know, I fall, you know, we all, at least for me, I say I still fall back into, oh, I can only achieve or do so much, you know, that's beyond me. And I'm putting a limitation on the presence or what I like to call the force. The force is unlimited, but I'm putting a limitation on it because I'm limiting me within that. So that's what kind of comes up for me as a, as, as an individual thing that says there's more in you, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm getting up there now. I'm not I'm not, not the youngster I used to be, you know, but I I. Uh, I follow a, a statement that came from my, my, my wife's grandmother who used to get up, you know, four o'clock in the morning and, and cook food for everybody in the house. And she said, I am going to wear out. I am not going to rust out. She's uh. always going to continue doing something to make a contribution uh, in her life. And, and I think, you know, that's what we're here to do is that we've been given gifts and, you know, we've given so much and we have to do as much as we can to take advantage of that because, you know, the, the life is precious. You know, you know, I, I happen to believe that there's probably a whole bunch of spirits and souls trying to get in these bodies and there's only so many and, you know, we need to take full advantage of it while we're here. So I think for me is is to say, James, you know, there's always more in you to be expressed. Uh, and then, you know, how is it that you can help others you know, have that same viewpoint and make a contribution? Because we, like I said, I'm here to help people unleash the highest w within themselves. And then they go into all the different places in our world. You know, they may be in their family, how they bring their best self and it ignites that in others. It may be in their school, it may be in their organization, it may be, thank hopefully, in politics where people bring, you know, the higher way of being because how the change is going to happen is not, we can't say, oh, those people over there, they need to do something different. No, we are those people. You know, we have to weave ourselves into those institutions so it reflects what is it that we want to see. So uh, I think that's the bigger idea. I and love it. Any contribution I can make uh, on that uh, is it will make a difference. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, yeah, my guidance is uh, uh, that's a mantra for my guidance to me as well. <laughs> You're putting too many limitations on this, Jeffrey. <laughs> too many limitations. Open it up. Open the aperture. Yeah. Uh, so good. Yeah. Uh, Reverend Trapp, how can we find out more about you? Where 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 can we send people? Well, uh, like I said, I'm I'm at a uh, spiritual community now because I uh, after I uh, finished up my tenure as CEO, I moved to California, so I'm at a place called Spiritual Life Center. So if you ever want to find out what's happening there or get our uh, services on YouTube, just go to slcworld.org. That's their their website. 
Uh, I have my own personal website, jamestrap.com, and you can get on, you know, my email list to get, you know, my um, my blogs. And uh, there's also a uh, a link that I that you can go to. I have this thing because I remember I said in the beginning that one of the things that's so important is our own self worth. And I created what I call your self-worth quiz to see where you are on on, on the scale of self-worth. And then if you'd like, there's some additional uh, online, there's an online course. You can even call me to have a, a free consultation and uh, I can engage in as a personal consultant for individuals. So I think between SLC World, jamestrap.com, and I think um, there's a longer URL for the, the test, but uh, All good. you can we'll, go on the we'll, website. We'll, it'll, I think, I think it'll take you there. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, hey, I just want to thank you for yeah, sharing. And also my, my book. such a rich my life. Oh, what's the book? Tell us about the book. This book. Yeah. The book is called take back to your future, how to get unstuck and create the life you want, love and deserve. So it's available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or you can go to my website and get it as well. And it's really about, you know, it's really tells, you know, in story form, kind of my journey and the principles that I used in my life, uh, beginning with how I overcame the abandonment, changing my self image, setting my own vision and purpose. You know, some of the daily routines I engage in, the idea of creating a legacy, you know, uh, for your life. Uh, so when you move on that you've made a positive contribution. So it's, it's a short book, easy to read. But hopefully there'll be a few things you can use if you're feeling stuck and you want to create something new in your life. Awesome. Beautiful. We will uh, link to all of that in the show notes. I want to thank you for being such, well, first of all, just for being generous with your time and your spirit. I also want to thank you for um, being such an example of using your story, of owning your story and using your story. It is, I think, one of the most powerful tools, tools of liberation we have. And uh, you're just such a great example of it. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your spirit, your story, your time. It's been really, really great and a pleasure. Well, it's been a pleasure for me. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, you know, your questions and just being on your, your podcast. So uh, thank you so much. It was enjoyable for me as well. You got it. All right. Well, until next time, my friends, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for being part, part of this conversation and part of this community. All my best. We'll see you in the next show. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening in. If this conversation was powerful, if it stirred your soul or inspired your journey, then be sure to share it with a friend. Just copy and paste the link wherever you're listening to this podcast and text that link right now to a friend that you think would be inspired by this episode. And if this is your first time here, be sure to click that subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and review so I can get to know you and your thoughts better. To learn more about the work I do with emerging and established paradigm changers, go to thecourageousmessenger.com. That's all for today. Thanks so much for being here, and I hope to see you in the next episode.